This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Over 40% of our Bible is narrative. It's God teaching us truth through actual events that we get to read in story form. And if you take time to really meditate on what's happening in the stories, it'll encourage your heart, but it'll make you amazed at our God. Acts chapter 12 is no exception. The church is growing here in the book of Acts. God is doing mighty work through his Holy Spirit. But there are storms. What we just heard sung reminds us that life is full of storms. As Becky was singing, I was reminded of last year spending two weeks aboard a ship, a relief ship uh, in the Caribbean. Barney Hall was there. We got on the water right after a hurricane, but the effects of that were still being felt on the sea. And there is actually a channel of water between uh, where we were headed, Costa Rica, Haiti, uh, and where uh, we had set out from port um, in Puerto Rico. And it is known for the turbulent waters because two seas come together there. We were on the return trip one night, and uh, you sailors will recognize this term but we were hit by a rogue wave. Amen, Amen nothing, brother. <laughs> but it was the middle of the night, and that 100-foot that vessel was being bounced all over. We're trying to stay in our bunks. We're trying to sleep, and then that thing hit us in the side. All through the trip, up on the bridge, there was, uh, as one of the instruments, uh, and I, the technical term for this instrument escapes me. Again, you, uh, you sailors will know what this is. But there, there's a clicking sound that happens that is a constant reminder that there's an apparatus that is constantly keeping the keel on course. And frankly, when you're on watch and you're up there, that clicking sound drive you crazy. But I'll never forget that night when we got hit by that. And, and it almost felt like there was just a temporary power loss. And then everything came back. And I heard that clicking sound again. And I got to tell you, that brought some comfort to me because all systems were working and we were being kept on course. And I think in the book of Acts, those early believers felt that way. There would be smooth sailing, good weather, sunny skies, and then things would change. I even wonder if some of our Lord's training of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee, I don't have to wonder, I know. It was all about teaching them that this is the way ministry was going to be. Calm, quiet, and then the storm. We're going to see as we finish up the chapter today how our Lord kept his word about prevailing power. 
Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And that power continued in the church, even though powerful enemies seem to be having their way. And so as we come to the end of the chapter, the Apostle James has been delivered to heaven by the brutality of Herod Agrippa I. The Apostle Peter has been delivered now from Herod's prison by a powerful angel. All of this points to God's prevailing power on behalf of his church. But God's primary tool is spontaneous, unceasing prayer, even though the uh, flesh of saints is given to doubt. So when things again turn in a bad way, the saints go to unceasing prayer. That is the pattern we should be following in 2024. Now, all along, we should be praying without ceasing. But when things go sideways, so to speak, we ought to be ready. We ought to be reminding each other. Everything needs to stop, and we need to have a season of unceasing prayer. As God work, God's work continues, we also see the obvious need for prayer for those who are imprisoned for the name of Christ. God delivered Peter. God is able to deliver those from any despot, any dungeon that they oversee. Peter would later write to the church, and I ended last time this way, 1 Peter 3.12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. I'm privileged to pastor this flock, but you're not my flock. And I'm grateful for that. It's a privilege to be the under-shepherd of the good shepherd, but I'm thankful that he watches the flock and that his ears are always open to our prayers. And I'm also thankful for this, 1 Peter 3, 12, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. You and I have some real enemies as Christians, but God sees everything they're up to. And he's even shown us Satan's playbook and then says, and you're not ignorant of his devices. While we've witnessed the Lord's prevailing power and the deliverance of one of his servants, Peter, the chapter ends by showing us God's absolute power over the heathen and the ruthless kings who raised them, remember Psalm 2, raised them in high, and, and hate, hateful, riotous rage against the church. And so the first part is the deliverance of Peter, as you follow this story. The second part is this, the destruction of Herod. Now, does God, every time someone makes themselves his enemy, does God just strike them down? No. But we need to realize that God's able to. And sometimes he does that to remind his church, I love you. I'm in control. Continue to serve me. I am protecting you. So God can even show his prevailing power in the church through the swift and agonizing destruction of his enemies. So now look at verse 18. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. What was become of Peter? 
16 soldiers were assigned to guard Peter. They were to work in four shifts, four soldiers at a time. Two of them were chained to the apostle. One was at the gate leading into that particular part of the prison. And then there was another gate that led into the city. And so you really had three different levels of security. If, if this guy gets out of his chains and he gets to the next gate, there's a warrior waiting for him. And if he happens to get through that gate, by the way, these gates presumably were all locked. If he gets to that last gate, well, there's somebody waiting for him there too. Now, when this verse says there was no small stir, another way to say that is there was one big disturbance. Imagine being one of your, those soldiers, and you wake up. It's been a good night. It's been quiet. You've gotten a good rest, and you look over to empty chains. You talk about an anxious moment. Where did he go? Where did he go? During the fourth watch, this would have been three to six in the morning. Four soldiers let a prisoner walk right out of the prison, or so they think. They don't know what's happened. If you look back at verse 10, you'll see that the iron gate, that last gate, never closed. So I think that's part of the mystery here. Okay? Imagine they wake up, the chains are empty, they begin to look. These four soldiers begin to look around the area and they get to that gate and the main gate leading to the city, it's standing wide open. What has happened here? Now, you want to be on the side of King Jesus in every situation. If you're serving yourself or you're serving God's enemies, Satan, all this business in these schools about having a Satan club and trying to present him as anything benevolent, what a lie. No, he's Dr. Death. Now, he can put it in, in, in fresh paint and bright colors, but anything that he touches dies. He was a murderer from the beginning. God said that. You don't want to be serving him. These guys find out you don't want to be on the wrong side. Verse 19, when Herod had sought for Peter, him, Peter, and found him not, he examined the keepers. There was a thorough investigation during which Herod learned the truth. And, and again, Herod would use whatever means necessary. It doesn't matter if, if yesterday you were a soldier serving me. It doesn't matter. Now I'm going to get the truth out of you no matter what it takes. The truth pointed to two things. There had been a miraculous escape. He hears their testimony. It doesn't make sense that out of this prison a guy could just walk free. It doesn't make sense. And what else became clear is Herod had failed to get his own way. By the way, if you serve someone who's a narcissist, if they look at themselves as God, you, you don't want to be serving them when they don't get their way. The meanest rascal on the planet is a human soul who thinks they're in charge. Now, do you remember Psalm 2, though, and how God at times will have his enemies in derision? Here you go. Here's a frustrated king. 
He's heard of the miracles Jesus did. He knows of the miracles that have happened among Jesus' followers, the church. Now something supernatural has happened right under his nose, and there was nothing he could do to stop it. Now, if you're Herod, that's really going to trouble you. Refusing to believe the obvious, we go on, verse 18, he commanded that they should be put to death. Again, this points to the brutality of the Herodian kings, including Agrippa I. Now, under Roman law, when a prisoner escaped, those guarding him were put to death. We're going to see this two other times as we work through Acts. Acts 16, Acts 27. But you have to remember, this was the Herod of the Jews. He was looked at as a Jewish king. So he didn't have to put these guards to death. But he's Herod. And history tells us anyone who frustrated or threatened his plans ended up dead. Now after killing these guards, Herod, look on, went down from Judea to Caesarea and abode there. Herod had failed. He probably went down to the coast to sulk, since even the people of Jerusalem now knew he had failed. He had failed. At the same time, Peter had escaped. Pastor James, they went and told him that Peter had escaped. He's encouraged, along with the rest of believers in the Jerusalem church. Even a rascal like Herod Agrippa I was no match for their Lord. And I'll just let that settle in. Do we see spiritual wickedness in high places? Do we get frustrated with government because they seem to be so blind to reality? Part of that is because people are full of themselves who govern us. And then we look at the next election and we wonder, is, if it, is it going to be fair and, and are our fellow countrymen going to see what's really going on? And as Christians, we can complain and we can sulk, but guess what? King Jesus is in control. Yeah. Right? He sitteth in the heavens. He will have them in derision. And by the way, he said, and I will build my church. The gates of hell can't prevail. So Christian, this is meant to encourage us. Listen to Proverbs 19.21. There are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. This is true even when the enemies seem to be succeeding. So keep trusting. Keep praying. Keep serving. Jesus is building his church. Twice Paul says in the book of Romans that those who put their trust, those who believe in the Lord, listen, he says this, shall never be ashamed. You know what that word ashamed means? It means they'll never be confounded. Here's what God has said, but this is happening. This doesn't make sense. I don't understand. No, no, no. Believe the Lord, you'll never be confounded. So the tyrant who killed the apostle James... And then his own guards is now in Caesarea on the Mediterranean. Some of us here 
And Lord willing, next year we'll be going back to Israel. We'll get to visit Caesarea by the sea. What a city. When I visited there back in the 90s, most of the city was still under sand. The last two times I have visited there, the sand is gone and, the, and, and you get to see what was there. I'm going to comment more about that in a moment. It was a, it was a beautiful city looking out on the men. I mean, it's just quite a place. So Herod, the Herod kings of Israel, have murdered babies in Bethlehem. They've destroyed their own heirs to the throne. They've stolen wives from their brothers. They've beheaded John the Baptist. This latest Herod killed the apostle James, was intent on killing Peter. You could say this, the Herodian dynasty, these guys like to play God. When would this stop? Maybe those in the early church were saying, when is this going to stop? Now look at Acts 12 and verse 20. And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him, and having made uh, Blastus the king's chamberlain their friend, desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. Now let's unwrap what this is saying. First of all, Tyre and Sidon were port cities, modern Lebanon. So if, if you can envision a map of Israel, Caesarea is right next to Mount Carmel, but right on the coast. And then north of that, on a narrow strip of land that, by the way, can't grow crops and feed a population, you have Tyre and Sidon. Those two cities were nourished by or fed by the territories that Herod Agrippa oversaw. So it's what's growing in the fields in Herod's territories that's feeding those folks up there. They depended on his jurisdiction, but somehow they had offended him. It may have been a matter of commerce, how they were paying for the food. Uh, we don't really know. What we do know is it's not a good thing to be on Herod's bad side. Highly displeased literally means he was so angry he intended them harm. Would he send an army up there? Would he just cut off their food supply and starve them out? We're not told, again, what they had done, okay, but they knew they needed to get back in Herod's good favor. Here's how they started, by bribing a close official of Herod's named Blastus. Now in the text, he oversaw probably his house, Herod's household, but especially the bedchamber, which meant he was in charge of protecting Herod while he slept. He also knew whatever else went on in there, and we don't even want to know. All right? But if you're going to get to somebody who's close to the king, you, you want to try to get to this guy. Most likely, they bribed him, they gave him gifts, were, were not told, but they convinced him to put in a good word for them with the king. They wanted him to influence Herod and make peace. I wonder if Blastus had a conversation with Herod that went something like this, O king, the people of Tyre and Sidon think you are amazing. 
They're sending a delegation to tell you so. Now, show them how amazing and how great you are. And you can imagine this king. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got that right. Okay. I, I, need, to, I need to prepare to show them who I really am. Verse 21, and upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, again he's in Caesarea, and made an oration unto them. Now let me, let me go back to what we can see in Israel today. There in Caesarea, you have an amphitheater. It's amazing, a theater uh, that was built by the Romans that actually you look out towards the Mediterranean. The Israeli symphony plays in there recently. Musicians, Jewish musicians from the world filled that and they did a musical number calling unto God for the release of the hostages being held by Hamas. You need to go online and watch that. It'll move you. While they're doing this musical number, the families of the hostages walk into that theater. That theater is how we know Pontius Pilate was a real person. Josephus didn't mention him. Uh, you don't see him anywhere in antiquity. When they dug that theater out of the sand, guess what they found right in the middle of that theater? There was a stone with a man's name carved because as the Roman procurator of that area, he would sit right in the middle of that theater and watch whatever was happening on that stage. Guess whose name was on that stone? Pontius Pilate. We don't know if they took a throne and set it on that stage and it was from there Herod could speak to thousands. We don't know. But just up the coast past the uh, hypodrome where they would race chariots and they've unearthed that amazing thing too is Herod's palace. That, I, I would love to see what that, what that palace looked like. Had an indoor pool, some pools, and then the front porch of that thing actually was a pier that went into the Mediterranean. Imagine grabbing breakfast in your coffee and sitting out there in the morning. That was Herod's house. But it was big enough if he had a throne in that thing where people gathered in that very palace. And he makes this speech. And so Josephus tells us, he took his place during this festival that was honoring Caesar, that he wore a beautiful silver robe before this large assembly. And as Herod spoke, look at verse 22, the people gave a shout saying, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. Verse 23, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. Why? Because he gave not God the glory. So imagine you're there. They're shouting, the voice of a God. And Herod's like, yeah. Yeah, you, you figured it out. Now here's something amazing that happens in the text. And remember, every word of God is pure. The Lord has given us his word. It's accurate. That word smote, an angel smote him, is the very same word back up earlier, I think it's chapter, or it's verse 10, 
But remember, Peter's sleeping, and the Bible says the angels smote him. So understand what's happening in the story. An angel can come next to a sleeping apostle, wake him up, or he can stand next to a king who is accepting worship from other men, and he can give him a wake-up call. See what's happening? It's the same word. But when he smites Herod, here's what happens. It's an internal wound, intestines, stomach. Okay? And here's what the scripture goes on to say. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. What? That's right. God allowed this king to be eaten from the inside out. It was disgusting, agonizing pain. Josephus does talk about that. Josephus tells us that it took five days for Herod to die. So for five agonizing days, this was happening in him. He died in AD 44. By the way, just as a side note, does God deal with his enemies? Yes, he does. Do you know that the way Herod Agrippa died is the very same way his grandfather, Herod the Great, died? And by the way, it's the very same way Antiochus Epiphanes died during the Maccabean age. Of course, we, we look back, Antiochus Epiphanes is looked at in history as representing the Antichrist who will reign during the tribulation. So it encourages us again, God, God can handle his enemies. He doesn't have to break a sweat to do it. In fact, he, doesn't have, he can just send an angel and it's finished. Listen to Isaiah 42 and verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. God was making a clear statement here about who the true God and King is. He is also showing His church that the enemies of the cross, whose God is their belly, their appetites, who use their political influence and authority to oppose the truth are no threat to God's plan. Do you think God at any time ever in heaven has wrung his hands and wondered what he's got to do next? What do you think? Never! Can't happen. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. In fact... What God's enemies plan only strengthens his plan. Can I say that again? What God's enemies plan only strengthens his plan. He's God. Now you might be thinking, Pastor, is that really the application of the text? Uh, aren't, you, aren't you spending a little too much time here? Aren't you overstating it? Look at verse 24 and there's your answer. But the word of, the, of God grew and what? Multiplied. Multiplied. I'm not overstating it. What Satan was trying to do, what, is, what God's enemies were trying to do, strengthened the spread of the gospel. 
The spread and influence of God's word continued, was fueled by news of events like what we have witnessed in Acts chapter 12. Imagine being in Antioch. Imagine being in these other places and, and you know Christ is your Savior and you hear what God did with Herod. Wow. You mean God delivered Peter? An angel just let him walk out at night and then a short time later God dealt with Herod that way? Ah, I'm so glad God's in control. Now I, can, now I can serve the Lord again. I've just been reminded I don't have to fear. And what about the saints up in Jerusalem? Barnabas and Saul, no doubt, return to Jerusalem after Herod's death. They bring the relief offering from the believers in Antioch. Remember what we saw back in chapter 11, verses 29 and 30? The, the believers there take an offering to send to Jerusalem. Saul and Barnabas bring that back. Then, verse 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. John Mark, who's his mother? Mary. It was her house. Remember earlier in the chapter where they were that was where the prayer meeting was, where they were praying without ceasing. This young man, John Mark, was at the prayer meeting. This young man heard the knock at the door. Saw Peter out there. This young man knows what happened on a Caesarea with Herod, who had tried to create so much trouble in the church. And so these experiences grow his faith, strengthen him, and guess what? Now he wants to go with Barnabas and Saul. And they take him on this missionary journey. Barnabas and Saul are the human instruments by which the word of God grew and multiplied. But now they have a young assistant who had personally witnessed the deliverance and the power of God. We know later, John Mark will struggle. In fact, he'll leave this missions team. He'll come back home. Had no reason to be afraid. He had already seen God's deliverance, but he comes back home. It became a point of tension, we'll see later, between Saul and Barnabas. But we also know from the rest of Scripture's record, God grew him. Not only did God grow him, but he became even a useful servant again to Paul. And by the way, if you just turn back a few books to a gospel by the name of Mark, who was the human author? John Mark. So, if you feel that God has called you into the ministry, if God has been leading you that way and things have happened where you, you wonder, am I still useful to the Lord? You know, has he still got a plan for me? Just take time to meditate on the life of John Mark. God's not done with you. He's going to continue to use you. So as we close, Acts 12 begins with the death of one apostle, the planned death of another, and the unsaved residents in Jerusalem loving what Herod Agrippa I is doing. 
Humanly, things look as bad as ever. But unceasing prayer was made. I think about what God wants to do in 2024 here at Good News. We have some challenges we're facing. We need to be praying unceasingly. I believe at the end of this year, we're going to rejoice in the great power of God in His church here. In the end, the prevailing power of God, which, by the way, should never be in question, delivered Peter and destroyed Herod. Will we look away from our opponents and look to Jesus with unceasing prayer so that the word of God may spread? That's what Acts chapter 12 is trying to help us see. Are you encouraged by what God did? I hope so. That's the intent of the Spirit of God for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what we have seen in this text. Lord, thank you that there is even a Jewish historian that documents some of this. Bible doubters, God haters, look at a story like this, can't be true, made up, fairy tale. Lord, we know it's exactly what happened. And history tells a story. And Lord, I believe it was even your plan to build your church during the Herodian dynasty. So with all those horrific things happening, the power of God might shine forth as you built your church. Lord, help us to be encouraged today by this truth. Lord, we have been given the whole armor, but as warriors, we're to pray without ceasing through the power of the Spirit. And Lord, we know that we are more than conquerors through you. Help us to be yielded and faithful to you. Lord, help us to keep the sin out. That confuses, clouds everything. Just help us to walk with you and to be right. And trust you to do great things as we expect great things from you. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.